This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History Network fan. This is Arnie Chapman, host of the Football History Dude podcast, and I'm just stopping by real quick to let you know this upcoming interview is more like a, we'll call it a fly-on-the-wall moment between two lifelong friends, Mark and Dave, rehashing and thinking about the old times. You get to be a fly-on-the-wall listening. This is a different type of episode for yesterday's sports. It's not the narrative base that you normally have, but I hope you enjoy. You'll, Mark, you'll remember, they had us, I think it was, they had a small little running back, I think called Mac Heron. Yes, Mac Heron. Uh, I think 1974, 75, mid-70s. Yeah. He didn't last very long, but uh, he was only like five, five, five foot five, I think. Yes, he was like a one one year wonder. Him and uh, they had uh, Sam the Bam Cunningham. That's right. No, they did yeah. exactly. I think he was actually. I think he was actually Randall Cunningham's cousin, older cousin. Yeah, they had a very good. They were related. Attack. You're correct. Yes, yeah, they had a really good running attack. I just, you know, I remember that going with my uncle Fran and. And my dad and I think my younger brother came with us. There was four tickets, but I have that ticket stub somewhere in this house. I think it was like nine bucks or eleven bucks or something. Um, it could even have been like eight or seven. I can't remember, but it wasn't a lot of money. Yeah, you couldn't even buy a hot standard. dog for that. You probably couldn't even buy a hot dog for seven dollars now. Today, <laughs> the last the last game I went to was nineteen. Was that playoff game? where Aaron Rodgers completed that pass on the sideline. He beat the Cowboys. It was uh, it was Prescott's rookie year, so it was 2016. Right. I paid, I paid almost $600 for wow. some end zone uh, seats. I bought one, and the girl that I was dating at the time, and my buddy flew in from Hawaii, my buddy Tom. Right. Who I'm trying to get a hold – who I'm trying to get him to get a hold of John Nyland to have him come on. Yeah. But uh, – and those were Enzo. They were great seats. Don't get me wrong. There was phenomenal view of this whole field, high enough where you could see the depth if they were playing at the other end. But it's just insane what you pay for tickets today. It really is. Yeah, you don't want to miss the story. All right, so Mark, you want to go? You can. Uh, well, I think there's one uh, one game that both of us picked uh, as a very memorable game. That was the. Christmas Day game in 1971 between yeah, the, it, the Chiefs and the right. Dolphins. That was the Ed Podolak game. That's what they call it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Arnie, there was a guy who played for the Chiefs, and he was a good, pretty good running back, right, Mark? He was good, but he, you know, he never made the Pro Bowl or anything like that. He was steady, but uh, you know, not ever a superstar player. Not. Not anywhere near gaining a thousand yards in a season or anything like that, but he was uh, versatile. And that game, I think he still holds the record for most yards. He had well over 300 yards between the kickoff returns, receiving yards, and rushing yards. Uh, he had 110 yards receiving, and he was a running back. And he had 154 <laughs> yards on kickoff returns, and he had another 85 yards rushing. 
and that's still yep. that's still a record, a playoff record. Yep. There's uh there's there's uh I went back to get some facts on that game for for you know um, Mark and I tossed the idea around what do we wanted to talk about, and I said you know I could talk about some games that I kind of remember that were not cowboy games because we wanted to do any cowboys today. So, and they're games that you remember watching, like at the time, like you remember, I remember watching that game and so-and-so was here and so-and-so was over the house. And you might not remember exactly a lot of other things because you were a kid when you watched it, but you remember, and these five vividly stood out. And the bizarre part about it all was they were all AFC games that I that I that stuck in my head for some reason, and maybe because a lot of those games run at four o'clock, Mark. Yes, uh, they had the yeah the one o'clock game was the early game, and the late game was four o'clock. Yeah, and that one was so, on Christmas. That's right. Everybody remembers that game because it was Christmas. But a couple of things I didn't know that I found out was that you can't. Like, a lot of these old games, already, you can go onto YouTube and watch them in their entirety. And you can't find a lot on the 70. This was one of the most famous games ever played. It was, I think it's, is it still the longest game, Mark, or no? Um, it may have been broken by now, but uh, for a long time, I'm, I'm not sure it possibly could be, but for a long time, it stood as the longest game. And that was yeah, the last the longest game. game ever played. Yeah, the last game played at Municipal Stadium. That's, That's a great one that Mark even knows that because you know I had forgotten about Municipal Stadium because they then they played the following year in Arrowhead Stadium. That's right, they opened up Arrowhead the following year. Yep. And when they built Giant Stadium, supposedly they kind of copied Arrowhead Stadium. They were very similar. The first Giant Stadium in the Meadowlands. Uh huh. And, and uh, when they were building that stadium, the Giants were playing some of their games at the Yale Bowl to get back to that other thing we were talking about. Right. And so that's why they were playing up at the Yale Bowl. Because well, they had played at Yankee Stadium, but they were redoing Yankee Stadium. Right. <laughs> and even yeah. the Yankees, you know, the Yankees had to play at Shea Stadium. The Giants were playing. They played some games at Shea, but I think most of the games they played at the Yale Bowl. Yeah, and the Yale ball was nothing to brag about back then, believe me. And I was a kid, and I still detected that much. And they claimed they copied the Rose Bowl from the Yale ball. I've heard that people say that. Did you ever hear that, Mark? No, that I didn't know. No. They talked about that. Huh? Um, you know, Yale was pretty – back then, you know, before I started watching football, you know, college was the game to watch, you know. In the 40s and 50s, pro football was really not that big. It was the college games that were that were really big, you know, making the big – until that, you know, giant uh, Colt game in 58. But uh, a couple of other things I found out about this game, getting back to the Chiefs and the uh, Dolphins, that the TV broadcast of that game was not saved. That's what I was getting to. You can't find a lot of footage on that game. Like – you would you would think okay, there's got to be at least forty five minutes of highlights. There's not much at all, and I guess um, they claim a lot of the film was lost. You know, I was reading up on it a little, and I don't know 
you know how true it is, but they said that that mark, that municipal stadium that you brought up where the Chiefs played, they said it was a very unique stadium because they had the guy coming out on the horse. He had the the Chiefs, you know, yeah. dressed up as a as a Native American. Yeah, and they had cheerleaders banging this big drum. Yeah, and then they had some local musician. I think it was like an Italian guy. I think his name was uh was uh. Departo, similar to my name, Departo. He was a, and he played there, and the people loved it. And they said so that, and it was actually their first home game in the p- playoff game in Chiefs history, which I did not know. Uh, did you know that, Mark? That was their first home game. Oh, yes, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, because no, I didn't know that because they had been in a, they'd won a couple of championships there with Hank Dream. I I didn't realize they never had a home game. Yeah, they never had a home game until that game. And a lot of people thought it was like a, I don't know if you think about it, a a changing of the guard game where the Chiefs won the championship in 69. They won the Super Bowl against Minnesota. And they still had a very good team in 70, 71. But people say this was the changing of the guard where Miami took over right. from the Chief. Yep. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Because Miami went on to win what more? They lost to the Cowboys in 71. Yep. And then, but then they won in 72 and 73 back-to-back, and they were still good in 74. 74. You know, they went on for several years. They had a great team. Yeah. 74, a lot of people were still picking them to win the Super Bowl. But Yeah. But they weren't quite. They weren't quite as dominant. Uh, I think that. When did the uh, When did the U.S. Uh, not the USFL? When did the World Football League mark right. come into play? That, that was the following year, and uh, Zonka and uh, Warfield and Jim Kick all signed. So the following year, they all went to the WFL. Yeah, that's then, what it was. Yeah. And then Miami kind of so, yeah. after that, and they were still pretty good, but not what they were. They weren't no. the force that they were in the early seventies. No, not not as dominant. And a lot of people but, think that that's what really screwed them up. The that WFL because those, those that's, three guys. That's, and that didn't, how long did that last? Was oh, it they one year. Barely made it through the season. They barely made it through the season. Checks were, checks Marty, were they, were take, they were taking established players from other teams, and, got, and he just mentioned Jim Kick and uh, uh, Larry Zonka and and Paul Warfield. Those are that was those were Miami's top. Um, those were three of their top players: two running backs and a receiver, a Hall of Fame receiver. Zonka is a Hall, is a Hall of Fame running back, and they just these guys were going over to this other league supposedly for big money. I don't, do you remember, Mark, how it folded up? It had to be all financial reasons. Oh, what, yeah. Right? They, they ran out of money real quick. They paid these guys all this big money. And then uh, checks were, before half the season was over, checks were bouncing. And uh, they didn't even have the, the uniforms weren't even matching. <laughs> you, you get back to that Chiefs game, though, Mark. I, 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 I was reading. I don't even know where I was reading it, but I – Knowing that we were going to come on, I was on and I started reading. And if, if, and Arnie, if you went back and watched some, there is some footage of that 71 game, the longest game ever played, they called it. And this guy, Ed Podolak, the running back, he, 
Mark, if you go back and look at those films, he looked like this guy was he was Bobby Bell, the great linebacker for the Chiefs, said he could beat Podolak running backwards. <laughs> Ed Podolak was running faster than anybody on the field that day. Yeah. There was plays where it looked like they shot him out of a cannon. Yeah, that was the game you, of you the you your kids. Yeah, he was just you know, he was on fire that day. They couldn't stop him. 350 all-purpose yards. Yeah, and then I, and you're right, Mark. It's still a record to this day. Yeah. That, that that game. And after that, and he went back to being an average player again. No, it's right. He never had another game even no, close to that. No, nope. But if you watch the footage of that game, and he looks like he looks like a man possessed. Yeah. running really. Uh, there is a clip. I didn't. I didn't write it down, but there is a clip on YouTube about that game, and he, he talks in it. He's interviewed in it. I don't know how recent the interviews are, but he's got pretty good recall of the game. And they also talked to Jan Stenerud. He was the kicker, Arnie, at the time for the Chiefs, and he was one of these early soccer style kickers. And he, I think he was from Norway, Mark. Yes, he was a skier. He was a skier in Norway. <laughs> He's, he's right. He was a one of these long, like they, when they go up into the into the you know atmosphere when they go into the sky there, where there's like the long jumper. I don't know what they call that for skiing, but and he was very good at it. He was supposed to be a very good athlete. Yes. And he was. He's in the Hall of Fame. Was he the first kicker mark ever to go in? Yes, absolutely was. And he had the worst day and, of his career on that day. And he's, he's still upset. Yeah. He's still to this day upset about it. He talks about <laughs> he, Mark knows. You know, he missed two kicks. Art was it two mark or three? I think he. I think he missed three. One of them was blocked. One of them was supposed to be a fake field goal. See, I didn't. I forgot about this because I said what was I was eleven. I think when I watched the game or twelve. But he. They were trying a fake field goal, and when the ball came back to the holder, he was looking at the kicker. He was looking at Stenerud. I forgot who the holder was, Mark. And he said he didn't think Stenerud remembered because he wasn't looking. And Stenerud said, oh, no, that was all part of it. We didn't want to give it away. Right. And so he was looking. He was paying attention. He was ready to, to pull it off. But the guy puts the ball down. Stenerud, he says, oh, you got to kick it now. He says to him, he comes forward and he missed. And that was a pretty, that was a pretty big kick, you know? Yeah. That was the worst day of his career. And – uh I think maybe that might have been the only bad game he ever had in his career, and he's still upset about was it. That kick, what? Was that kick mark in the first half or no? Uh, I think he. I think the one you're talking about, I can't remember if that was the first half or second half, but I know he did miss. He missed a pretty easy one. I, went, I, went, I know one of them was blocked, and one of them was only like 32 yards or something like that. Which was like it was automatic. even shorter, Mark. Even shorter, and that was like automatic yep. to him. And he still, he still can't get over the fact that he that he missed it, and that that would have well, that would have won the game for them. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. The game was tied ten to ten at the half. Right. I mean, it was a, it was a very close game all, all all the way through. I remember I remember the game being tied at halftime, and you know you don't know all these things. Until you start, you know, it's just a football game. You remember it, you're a kid, and you go, oh, I remember watching that Chiefs game. Then Miami ended up beating them, you know, and the game kept went into two overtimes. And 
all this other stuff. But uh, um, getting back to Ed Polak, the guy not only had rece uh, receiving yards out of the backfield, and he had uh, a great yard on the ground. How much yards did he have on the ground, Mark? Oh, he had 85 yards rushing. Yeah, that was a lot back then. People don't yeah. – it sounds like nothing now, Arnie, but it was a lot of yards back then. But he also had like an 80-yard kickoff. The guy's the main running back, and he's returning kicks. Yeah. <laughs> you never see that today. No, exactly. You would never see it today. Exactly. And I think it was a 20-yard field goal that Stenrude missed. It's, it, it, I, I remember somebody was talking about it on the video. I think it was actually the great coach of Miami, Don Shula. He said the guy missed two or three field goals. He couldn't believe it. Yeah. You know? And you know who else? Who, got, go ahead, Mark. Oh, you know who else had a big game? There was uh, Paul Warfield. Paul Warfield, they couldn't stop. He had 140 yards receiving. And back then, you know, they didn't pass the ball that much. So that was a huge, huge game. No. I would say 140 yards receiving back then was easily over 200 today. Right. Absolutely. A 200-yard receiving game. Absolutely. But uh, I just remember the game towards the end, Zonka ripped off kind of like a long run, yep. and they got into field goal, and you knew then the game was going to be over. Yeah, and they had pretty much contained Zonka for the whole game until he had that big run. Yeah. I think he went from one side of the 50 like down to like the 20-yard line or something, Mark. Do you remember? Oh, it was a big – yeah, it was some – Something like 40, 45 yard run. It was a, like you said, that's really what put them in uh, field goal range. That was a big game. That was everybody, like I said, I think there weren't a lot of games. Don't forget, there weren't a lot of sports on in Christmas back. I know today it's a given. Yeah. You know, now they have like two games on Christmas. They used to have just one game. And, you know, but back then, there wasn't, Christmas was not a big day for sports. No, and so no. that was kind of a new thing, you know? Yeah. And the other, the other, uh, another Chiefs game that I wanted to talk about because it's really the first game that I can vividly remember watching because it was the uh, the first Super Bowl I re vividly remember watching was the Chiefs and the Vikings, and that was on that was only about uh, two weeks after Christmas. They had the Super Bowl in early January back then, January eleventh. 1970 is when they played that game. And I can remember the Vikings had a big season. It might have been their best team ever. And everyone was talking about the, the how the Vikings were going to crush the Chiefs. And I remember, you know, and I was maybe about, I was about two and a half months shy of turning eight years old. So... Up to that point, I'm sure I had watched some other games because my my older brother and my father always had the games on, but this is the first one I could really have vivid memories of. I remember my uncle being there, some of my cousins were there, and they were all telling me how the Vikings were going to crush the Chiefs. And I just remember, for some reason... I knew the Chiefs were going to win. I think it's because of those football cards. That was really the first year. <laughs> the first year I remember collecting football cards was 1969. 
And like Dave had mentioned in the previous uh, conversation we had, you would look at the back of the card, and it would give you all the information on these players. And for some reason, I had a lot of cards of Kansas City Chiefs players, Buck Buchanan, Willie Lanier, Len Dawson, Otis Taylor. And I was reading the back of these cards, and I said, wow, this team is stacked with talent. All these great players they have. Why is everyone saying Minnesota's just going to roll right over them? And I told everyone, I told my uncle, my father, and all my cousins, I said, the Chiefs are going to win this game. And they all said, they all laughed at me. I said, you're crazy. Get out of here. And sure <laughs> enough, before you knew it, it was 16 nothing. The Chiefs took a 16 nothing lead in the third quarter. And Minnesota could not run the ball. They had 67 yards running the entire game. And five turnovers. Minnesota had five turnovers. Now, it might have been, it might have been a closer game had they not turned the ball over five times. But I still think the Chiefs were the one. And you remember the quarterback, the Vikings, had Joe Cap. Joe Cap. Yes, really? we, we talked about him, Mark. Yeah, yep. He really took a beating in that game. Really? So to, where was that game? Where was it played, Mark? Oh, that was Tulane Stadium, New Orleans. Okay. Yep. Okay, because it was kind of a muddy field. Yeah, it was very muddy, very muddy. It was right. They would never play, a, never play a Super Bowl in those conditions today. No, forget it. That, that was probably the muddiest Super Bowl ever. Yeah, the field was extremely muddy. And that, they had eight eight Chiefs were in the Hall of Fame on that team. Yeah, I can believe because that was. I looked up the Dolphin Chief game, the last game we just talked about. And there were fourteen Hall of Famers in that game: six Dolphins and eight Chiefs. And I, I I met Buck Buchanan once at the Hall of Fame. This is when he could actually go up and talk to guys. Yeah. And I I met Willie Lanier several times. Willie Lanier would go every year. Yeah. And so. After a few years, he actually recognized. He started recognizing me and my buddy Ray because we were regulars. And, and, and Willie Lanier was a great. He was very, very. He was a very smart guy. Yes. And I think the Chiefs were way ahead of their time in nineteen in the late sixties. That nineteen sixty nine Super Bowl, Arnie. The, don't forget the year before the Jets beat the Colts, which is a huge upset. And, and what I think people were thinking was, well, the NF, the NFL team or the NFC team is going to go back and represent. They're, they're going to beat the AFL team. Uh, because, and they thought Minnesota was a powerhouse. But they were kind of, they're Mark, they were like three yards in a cloud of dust, don't you think, or no? Well, I'll tell you, as great of a coach, I have a lot of respect for Bud Grant, a uh, great coach. But he, he got outcoached in that game by Hank Stram. Hank Stram was a very, like you say, they were ahead of their time. He was a very innovative coach, and he did things. He, he was calling plays that the Vikings had never seen before. He had that Vikings defense so confused. He really uh, did an uh, out-coaching job on Bud Grant that day. The, the, I, I met Bud Grant. I think I sent you a thing already about Bud Grant. He was kind of an interesting guy, the coach of the Vikings. I might have sent it to you, uh, and I talked about his speech at the Hall of Fame, how great I thought it was. 
Uh, but Bud Grant, the knock on Bud Grant, and not at the time, because people didn't talk about these things openly like they do today, where you have all these sports shows and they talk about different. But years later, they said, you know, Bud Grant wasn't your typical guy that would sleep in the office at the facility. This guy coached and he went home. Like, I'm not saying football wasn't important to him, but I think family was much it's, I, I, much more important to Bud Grant by hearing the things that he would talk about. And he was the guy that just, you know, if the team was ready, it was ready. Not saying he didn't put in time, but he, he wasn't the guy that was going to stay there till 2 o'clock in the morning no. looking at film. No, he was a big big into hunting and fishing, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's right. He had a, he had a big guy. Uh, he had it like some kind of sale in his house yeah. every year, some kind of garage sale. They were saying it was a famous, <laughs> a famous thing, and he would sell stuff. But getting back to that game, I thought the Chiefs. I always thought this were way ahead. Of, I thought Chuck. I mean, uh, Hank Stram was kind of like Landry. He was very innovative. They had yeah. a lot of, they had a lot of motion going on on offense. Oh, yeah. They had yeah. dynamic. They had a dynamic receiver, Otis Taylor. Oh, like he was, I, I was, he was a guy that you could think was dynamic. You know, I was going to talk about him. Yeah, he, go ahead. Well, you mentioned his name, and I, I don't get into the Hall of Fame controversy much. You know, who should be in, who shouldn't be in. But I always felt like that's one guy that kind of gets overlooked. Otis Taylor. He he was a Deep threat, and he he was uh, probably the biggest receiver at that time. There weren't too many receivers that were over two hundred pounds. He probably weighed about two fifteen, two twenty, and he was a, a great blocker. And he, he you know, it, he he would intimidate those defensive backs because most of those defensive backs only weighed about one eighty, one ninety. And he, I always felt like he kind of gets overlooked, Otis Taylor. And he had a huge game that day. Yeah. What did you, do you remember what, do you remember his stats? Uh, oh, he had, he had six catches for 81 yards. <laughs> but uh, he broke that one, the, uh, he broke a tackle. On the sideline. Actually, I think that's when it was, I think it was, it was 16 nothing and in the third quarter and then the Vikings got a touchdown in the third quarter made it 16-7 and I remember my uncle and my father said oh now they're going to come back now they're going to come back and then it was shortly after that uh, he threw yep sideline Len Dawson hit uh a Taylor on a sideline route and he broke a tackle and he was gone touchdown yep he had a big game that was a good look. That was look, and that was a good Viking defense. Very good. The Vikings had a very good defense. It's not like the Chiefs were playing against a bunch of. If anything, I would say it was their you know offense. It was kind of a little not questionable, but I mean it was their D. They got you know, Alan Page was phenomenal. Uh, you could make a case for uh, Jim Marshall, the defensive end for my for uh, Minnesota. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. And Carl Eller's there. And so is Alan Pace. So they had half their defensive lines in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and they had good linebackers. They were very solid. And they have the all-time interception leader in Paul Krause. That's right. Was he, was he there? Paul Krause yeah. there that Paul game? Paul Krause, yeah, he was there. He uh, started with the Redskins. 
I think. That's right. I think, uh, maybe around 67 is when he joined the Vikings. Paul Krause, yep. Yeah. Still the all-time leading interceptor, right? Yeah, 80-something interceptions, I believe. Yep. Hey, he was. Uh, so, I mean, they, they put up they put up good numbers that, that game, Mark. Um, you know, how about the Sea of Hands game in 1974? Oh, boy. That, that was. That's one that <laughs> sticks out. You know, here's the thing about the Raiders were involved in this game. And the other three games, I, I, I remember, were all Raider games for some reason. And the big thing in the 70s, Arnie, was the Raiders had so much success. And the Cowboys had so much success, but they never played each other in a Super Bowl. Yeah. That was something you always thought about years later. You said, geez, how did these two teams never meet? Yeah. You know? Every- and they, the Raiders, I think, had one of the winningest records of the decade. Were they the winningest mark in the AF, or was the Steelers were better or no? Well, in the 70s, the Cowboys had the winningest record. Uh, I think yeah. Oakland was second, not too far behind them. Pittsburgh uh, didn't start off too well. 70 and 71, you know, they still had bad, bad teams. So they started winning in 72. But, yeah, uh, that that was one of the great games, uh, Miami and Oakland. It was – I remember watching that game, and I remember the opening kickoff – the guy for the Dolphins, I think it was Nat Moore. Yeah, he runs, you know, you didn't see a lot of kick returns, really. It was exciting. Here's a playoff game, you know, and the guy's running the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> and the game was, I believe the game was played in Oakland, correct? Yes, it was. It was played in Oakland. And I remember John yeah. Madden talking about that. They were all, the, the players were all fired up before the game. We're finally <laughs> going to beat these guys. No right. kickoff. He went all the way for a touchdown. <laughs> but uh, that then they. I, I I I think the Raiders' first score mark was a, uh, and this was you didn't see a lot of this, but it was kind of a long pass to the running back. I think it was Charlie Smith. He was he was in the end zone, and you didn't see a lot of long passes to running backs back then. That's right. You know, you would see like out of the backfield. Chuck Foreman for the Minnesota Vikings yeah. was good at it. There were other guys. But this was like a pretty long pass, and they're hitting a running back in the end zone. It's like, you know, I remember as a kid thinking that that was different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think that was really the, the uh, key to the, the game. I think that's really what uh, the Raiders' the Raiders uh, key to winning that game was their passing. They had almost 300 yards passing in that game. And that was, a, a, you know, a solid defense they were going up against. Fred Belitnikoff had eight catches for 122 yards. <laughs> that, yeah, listen. And you didn't do that against the Dolphins. And the best, and he was smoking cigarettes on yeah, the sideline. Yes. It was almost unbelievable. Right like, on the sideline. <laughs> somebody, this is good, somebody sent me a picture of the quarterback of the Chiefs, Len Dawson, Super Bowl one, yeah. he's sitting in the locker room like on a folding chair, and he's smoking yeah. a cigarette and having a soda. So he had a soda and a cigarette. And You're have- right; it was a soda. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was look. That game went down to the wire, Ernie. That sea of hands game that we're talking about. 
And Stabler made a tremendous play at the end. He got and the guys that were Kirk Gowdy was a tremendous announcer. You know, oh, one of the best ever. Those, those AFL games were very exciting, and that was you know I think people thought they were more exciting than the NFL kind of or the AFC. It turned at that point right. it was the AFC and the NFC, but early on it was the AFL and the NFL because there was a lot more passing and people thought that was exciting back then, right, Mark? Yeah, there was. Uh a lot more passing in the AFL than in the NFL. And one, one other uh, play I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Dave. It was uh, another very uncharacteristic uh, thing that the Dolphins did uh, because Cliff Branch had caught a long pass and he, uh, he I guess he must have slipped or whatever. He fell and there was like two or three Miami Dolphin players standing around them, and no one touched. No one touched him. He got back and up. He alertly, quickly got back up and ran him for a touchdown. And I, I couldn't believe. I remember watching that at the time. I couldn't believe it because, you know, a Don Shula coach team doesn't do that. I don't know. The three, the two or three players must have thought the other guy touched them, and they all just stood there. Cliff got up and he was gone. You bring up Don Shula. I saw an interview with an assistant coach once, and he said after that game, the 74 game against the Raiders, he Shula went into the locker room and sat down on a, a stool and started to cry. He said it was the only time he ever saw him do it. Wow. I forgot what the coach's name was, um, but he was an assistant. I think it was an offensive coach. And he said he saw Shula do it. And I said, wow. I was like a little taken back by that. You know, and the, the game, you know, I forgot this, Mark. I forgot that Don Meredith was announcing AFC games at the time. Don Meredith was one of the first announcers for Monday Night Football, Arnie. And I what was how many years was he there? And then he left yeah, and he started doing AFC games. I forgot about that. Completely forgot about it. Yeah, I think he had a contract dispute with Monday Night Football, and yeah, for for at least two years he he was announcing for NBC before he went back to Monday Night Football. Might have even been three yeah. years because Alex Karras replaced him on Monday Night Football. That's right. Seventy-four, right. seventy-five. Alex Karras was doing it for a couple of years, and then Meredith came back. Yep, he was. It was. It was great. I, you know, I watched some clips of that game to refresh my memory on it, and I forgot that Don Merritt was doing those games. And he says, "Oh, he caught it! <laughs> I couldn't believe it." What's his name? Caught, you know, had the ball. He wasn't. He wasn't known for having great hands. Uh, what's his name? Clarence Davis. Was Clarence, Clarence Davis? Davis? Yeah. Running back for Oakland catches the ball, and there's three Dolphins right around him. Stabler's actually going down. Yeah, well, you know. Well, almost his knee almost hit the ground. Yeah, his knee was very close to touching the ground. It was a great was a great game. He had three guys you on know. his back and <laughs> somehow he yes, yes. there with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got, Mark, for games? Oh, what else did you want to talk about? Um I had the uh I had that seventy-six game. Oh, the Raiders! Um, and, was that the, the Raiders against Patriots. the Patriots? Yeah. 
the, and I remember that game when I was a kid because the Patriots were kind of a new, like, you know, this is, they're right here in New England. Yeah. You know, I can get up to that stadium in a couple of hours. Right. But they weren't known as a big, you know, they weren't that good of a team really prior to that. Oh, they had some terrible teams. And that year. Oh, they were brutal. That year they had a great team. Right. Yes, they kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. They played up there in that Schaefer Stadium. The place was a dump. Right. I, I went to a few games up there. I remember seeing. I remember seeing Lyle Alzada walk out of the tunnel. Yeah. And it was it was in the eighties. Alzada was playing for the Raiders at that point, and this guy was on so much. So you could see it. His head looked like it was going to explode. <laughs> you know. And listen, you'll never. You know. You see guys. You know. You see. You know. Randy White was a big guy. And I became pretty pretty friendly with him. And I, Ed Jones was a monster that played for the Cowboys. Ed Too Tall Jones. But then he, this guy looked – he just had a completely different look to him. And, you know, back then what ended up – you know, that those Steeler teams were the first teams really who had like a kind of a different physical look. They came out and they had the short sleeve shirts and the, the, the big arms – their offensive line, and they all. And Tony Dorsett once said to me, "I saw him at a card show, and I brought that up to him." And he said, "I said to our guys, hey, whatever they need, whatever those guys are, we need to get some of that because people don't remember that. Do you remember that, Mark? Did, did that stand out to you as a kid or not? Yeah, well, that's really around the time when probably yeah, that's like mid seventies is probably when uh, you know a lot of the guys in the NFL were starting to. Use the steroids, and like you said, the Steelers, the Steelers' offensive line was uh, one of the first to, to, you know, the weightlifting programs were getting more serious, and like you said, these guys, you know, they they had all had the big arms and uh, a different look to them. They had a different look to them. And Tony Dorsett knew something was going yeah. on. He wouldn't have brought it up, you know what I mean? But I remember that Oakland Patriot game. The Sugar Bear, Sugar Bear Hamilton game. That's right. <laughs> the Sugar Bear Hamilton game, Arnie, because something happened towards the end of the game. It seemed that Oakland was always involved in some kind of crazy yeah. play. Doesn't it they, seem like they that? Were. They were. Always, there was always controversy. Always controversy. You could go back. That's right. You could go back to uh, – that 72 playoff game, the Cowboys played the 49ers earlier in the day with that Staubach comeback. Remember Staubach missed almost the whole season? Yeah, put the shoulder in. But they, they brought him in for that game, and he scored two touchdowns in like under two minutes. Yeah. And and then later on, it was the um, the same day was the Hail Mary, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the, I think the Hail Mary game was the first game. No. Oh, okay, that's what not it was. the that's Hail right. Mary, the, the immaculate. Uh, they call it the immaculate. I'm sorry. Yeah, two of the greatest playoff games ever in the same day, yeah. and you you didn't really realize it as a kid. You kind of forget about it, and it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that I realized those were both the same day. Yeah. The Cowboy 49er game. That was the late game. And, right, you're, that was the late yeah, game because that was in San Francisco. That's correct, and the early game was the. Was the uh, immaculate reception right. game? Right. Two, two, of the, two of the best playoff games ever. Yeah. I think that Cowboy Forty Nine er game. People don't talk enough about that. That was a great game. Yeah, that was amazing. But getting back to that, getting back to that Raider game, 
um, against the Patriots, that was one of the first games I remember where the tight ends was Casper with, with Oakland at that point. Casper uh, and the Patriots had Russ Francis. I know you love John Mackey, yes, who played for the absolutely. Colts. I know, I know you I think of him as one of the greater greatest tight ends that ever, and he was. But for some reason, that game, that playoff game, and and I know you love Jackie Smith. Yes. He had a lot of receptions as a tight end in 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 uh, St. Louis, but for some reason, the tight ends really weren't getting a lot of publicity. But they started picking up steam, and these were two of the biggest guys that that prompted it: Russ Francis for the Patriots, and and uh, Casper for the Raiders. And after that, the tight end position seemed to change. Do you think, Mark or no? Yeah, I, I would say you're. you're uh, you know, I, I want to see. I'm going to take these speakers. I'm getting an echo. <laughs> I think the headphones were causing an I I could hear my I could hear an echo. But uh getting back to that, yeah. The, those were two of the they were probably the two best tight ends in the league at that time. And they could, you know, they they could do it all. They could block and they could catch, they could run. They were both very hard to to get down. Uh just like John Mackey, you know, once they got ahead of steam, they were hard, hard to tackle. And big, both big guys. But do you remember Fred Bolitnikoff that day? He had a few great catches in that oh game. Oh yeah, Fred Bolitnikoff was always, always in the thick of the action. One of the best receivers. He was a tremendous, tremendous. These, you know, a lot of guys today. They go, well, these guys, you know, they but they couldn't stand. Look, these guys that were great back then, they could play in any time. I don't want to hear this garbage about guys can't play today. Listen, these guys didn't have all this stuff that the guys have today. Football is year-round today. They have all kinds of training and all kinds of stuff and all kinds of off-season programs. These guys would be just as effective. In fact, these guys were tougher. These guys would really excel today, believe me. These guys were – Fred Bolitnikoff, he was not a physical specimen by any means, Arnie. You could look up his – his, his physical uh, thing. But this guy made tremendous, tremendous plays. He had a he had a he had a grab in the third quarter, I think, for a touchdown, or a couple of great grabs on a drive that that kept because that game could have got away from the Raiders, if you remember. Oh, it did get away from them. At one point they were down twenty one to ten. And you have to remember that the, their only loss that season, the Raiders' only loss, was to the Patriots. And not they didn't just lose, they destroyed them. 48 to 17. Yeah. 48 to 17, the Patriots beat them earlier in the season. And they were down 21 right. to 10 in that game. And it looked like and if, it looked if like, there was a ter terrible call oh. towards the end of the game. Where they call the roughing the passer on uh, the the uh, Patriots defensive lineman Sugar Bear Hamilton. The, I, I don't know. Do you think it wasn't really roughing the passer? Wasn't no, it? I, and the coach uh, Chuck Fairbanks was the Patriots coach at that time. He said it looked like Hamilton deflected the ball, which which means that 
once you deflect the ball, you can hit the quarterback. And that was uh, the reason that was so controversial is that was rarely called at that time. I mean, unless it was unless it was flagrant, you know, if the quarterback just released the ball and the defender hit him just as just after he released, that was rarely ever called back then. So not right, not in that not in that type of a of of a hit. You're right. Guys were getting hammered. I remember Bradshaw got turned upside down on his head. You you could that's a famous play. You could look that one up. Turkey, uh, Turk yeah. Jones. I mean, he he actually picked it, lifted him up off the ground, turned him sideways, and kind of dumped. And when he came down, he came down on the top of his head, yeah. and you could see his neck bend. Brad Bradshaw, and these were the those plays that my that was that was considered <laughs> uh, roughing the quarterback. Not the stuff that they call today, but they call and it extended the drive going back to the game. And Stabler. Ended up running it in. He snuck it in. He 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 rolled out to, to his to his left, and he ended up sneaking into the end zone. And they ended up beating the Patriots. It might not have should have probably maybe not have ever even happened. Well, there's still a lot, still a lot of people that talk about that play. When you bring up that game, especially Patriots fans, they talk about the Sugar Hamilton play. There was a lot of bit, you know. You don't think of it as a great rivalry, but there was a lot of bad blood between the Patriots and the Raiders that went on for years. Remember Matt Millen when he was playing for the uh, Raiders? Yes. He he was walking off the field. It was in the tunnel area, and he went after the general manager of the yes. Patriots and punched him right in the he head. He didn't know. <laughs> he, he, he didn't know it was the general manager. Was that what it was? I'm telling you, it was he, I think he knew it was some kind of – Got something to do with the Patriots. Yeah. You're right. Maybe he didn't know. I, just, I think Sullivan his name or not. I forget what his name was, but um, I just saw they. I just saw not too long ago they were interviewing Matt Millen about that, and he was the the general manager came down on the field and he was mouthing off for some like you wouldn't expect the general manager to do that. He was mouthing off to the Raiders players, and Millen didn't know that it was the general manager. And he slugged them, and then he found out. There's a found out later that, that uh, he was filing a lawsuit, or something like that. And they came, they came over to Matt Millen, they, and he didn't know. He said they told him that was the general manager. He said, "Oh, you got to be kidding me! I'm in big trouble." Listen, there's a famous picture already of it. If you type in Matt Millen punches, I think his last name was Sullivan. It might have been he. You, you could see it. His, his, his hand is blurry because the camera must have been like on the lower shutter speed. But you could see his face and you could see the actual, you know, the, the look on Matt Millen's face as he's coming off of this. They, they talk about this other crazy thing the other night at the at the Emmy Awards or the Grammy Awards, whatever the hell it was. That was nothing compared to this. <laughs> this was tremendous. He was crazy, Matt yeah, Millen. He was a little off the wall. <laughs> He tried to go to. He tried to get. He tried to go at Randy White once. Randy White went to his. Uh, met up with him. I think Millen was just getting out of. I think he was in college, or he was being heavily recruited. And Randy White went over there from Maryland or something, and he tried to arm wrestle him. Did you ever hear that story, Mark? Yes. And 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 then they went at each other. Randy White picked him up. Matt, Matt Millen said, "I thought I was strong. You know, at the time I was bench pressing almost four hundred pounds and." 
you know, this and this. And then, you know, they, 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 some of these guys are really crazy, though. <laughs> Any what, what do you got, Mark, for another, for another game there? Oh, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one game. Uh, I, I have to get one Dallas Cowboy game in there. I think it may have been the most perfect game I've ever seen them play. The 1975 NFC Championship game against the Los Angeles Rams. Now, this was the week after the Hail Mary game. They had just beaten the Vikings, remember? They beat the Vikings. Yep, they weren't expected, they weren't expected to win either of those games. No, they weren't expected to have even a winning seat. It was a rebuilding was supposed to be a rebuilding year because a lot of guys retired. They were getting old. A lot of guys retired. A lot of guys were traded. And they wound up in the playoffs. They beat the heavily favored Vikings. Then the next week, they had to play the Rams at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Rams were going into that game with 13 wins and two losses. And they had just destroyed a very good St. Louis Cardinals team. And that may have been the most perfect game I've ever seen Dallas play. They completely annihilated the Rams, completely destroyed them. 24 first downs. The Rams had nine first downs. Total yardage. Get this. The Cowboys had 441 total yards. The Rams had 118. And that was Preston Pearson, the Preston Pearson game. Seven catches, 123 yards, Preston Pierce. He was a running back. <clears throat> yep. He was the only player on the Cowboy roster, I believe, that they actually picked up off of That's another correct. team. Every other guy was drafted. They were homegrown. And Preston Pearson came from the Steelers of all teams <laughs> and then played against him in two Super Bowls when the Cowboys played him in those Super Bowls. But uh, that was the year, Ernie, that Tom Landry took a – he got that shotgun offense going. Nobody really saw the shotgun prior to this unless I think the 49ers ran it in the 50s. I forgot what coach was running it. Red Hickey. Red Hickey. But Red that's Hickey. right. Prior to that, nobody even knew what the hell the shotgun was. Like People were like, what the hell is this formation? And – he thought it would give Staubach an extra second or two, maybe, because he was removed from the line of scrimmage. They had a lot of rookies. They had 12 rookies that year, and they called it the Dirty Dozen. And Landry has said in multiple interviews it was his most enjoyable year of coaching ever. And uh, they, I remember the game, Mark, the, uh, the Preston Pearson, they did a shovel pass yeah. to him where it looked like they were going to pass it because they were in the shotgun, and then he shoveled the ball forward, and Pearson went. He had a big day that day. That was a – there was a lot of great – was Bob Brunig was a rookie that yes. year, wasn't he? Randy White was a rookie yep. that year. And there was – Thomas Henderson was a rookie yep. that year. They had a lot of great players, the Cowboys, and nobody already expected them to win. Nobody expected them to win the week before against the Vikings. That was the great Hail Mary game, like Mark said earlier. And, you know, Bud Grant claims in some interviews I've seen with him that that Viking team that lost the Hail Mary game was actually better than the team 
that lost the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. He thought that that might have been his best team. I think I would disagree with that. Yeah, you're right. I I don't I don't know why he said it, but I've I, seen him well, say I've it. I've seen a, a lot of people of say it, but I I would disagree because if you look at that team, okay, they were t- they were ten and zero at one point. People were talking about maybe they could match what the Dolphins did with an undefeated season. They were ten and zero. Look at the ten opponent. If you look at their schedule, look at the ten opponents they beat. There was there, and people talk about that seventy-two Dolphins team having a weak schedule. Look at the first ten opponents that the Vikings played that year. Absolutely horrendous. I think it was something like thirty-six wins and one hundred and fourteen losses. Those ten teams combined, horrendous. Absolutely terrible teams they played. Then when they finally had to start playing some good teams, they started losing. They lost three of their next five games. Three of the next five games they lost because they had to start playing good teams. And I wasn't shocked. I mean, I was surprised, you know, pleasantly surprised that Dallas won that game. But I wasn't really shocked because, I, you know, because of that reason, I looked at the Viking schedule and I said, you know, they haven't played anyone like like the Cowboys all season. They haven't played any team that was as good as Dallas. But the following week, I was shocked at how they just destroyed the Rams. That was a very good Rams team with the Hall of Famers, you know, Jack Youngblood. They had Hacksaw Reynolds, middle linebacker. And they just completely destroyed the Rams. And that was probably the, the, the yeah. most enjoyable. I was not expecting that. I know. I was, I enjoyed that game more than any other game, I think. The Cowboys played a perfect game. They had a they had a good secondary to the Rams. Elmendorf, Dave Elmendorf. Uh, they they had a couple of guys back there that were very 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 good. Let me ask you this, Mark. Getting back to the Vikings for a second. Do you think that? Do you think that maybe Bud Grant was referring to maybe? Do you think that seventy five team? Um. Because they had a lot of different players from when they played that chief team six years prior, but they had like Fran Tarkington was a quarterback, yes. wasn't he? And they had was Chuck yes. Foreman there? And and was Sammy White there? Uh, I believe he was, yes. So they had like they had more dynamic players in office compared to uh Dave Osborne and right, Joe they Cap. Had but, you know, but Maybe that's what he was referring to. That maybe the player he thought it had, was Chuck Chuck Foreman yes. was there, correct? Yep. But they had lost to the Steelers um, about eleven months earlier. They lost to the Steelers in the Super Bowl. Yes, they did. That was a well. I think that was the game that was played at Rice State. Was that at Rice State? Uh, Houston. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Houston. it was. It was the only time they well at, at that time they played. Like something happened. They had to play the game at Rice Stadium already. It was very – it was terrible. It was not set up for a Super Bowl at all. But it wasn't a big spectacle like it is today, first of all. But uh, I remember that Ram game very, very well. Um, it was like – like Mark said, it was a big surprise. That was a – you were playing with house money at the time, uh, yeah. Mark, you know, when it came to that. 
that game, that Ram game. The Cowboys were playing with house money the entire playoffs, and they went and they put up a great game the following week. A couple weeks later, the Super Bowl against the Rams, they in fact they scored a uh, they scored a uh, touchdown in the first quarter. It was the only time the whole year that anybody scored a touchdown against the Steelers in the first That's quarter right. of the game. That's right. And the Cowboys made it yeah. look easy. It was a pass to Drew Pierce. And you said, hey, you know, maybe they could play. That game was, game was a close game. They were game. Getting 10 to 7 in the fourth quarter. They were still ahead. I think there was only about eight minutes left in the game. They were still ahead 10 to 7. Mark, what, how about the Raiders and the Broncos in 77? Do you oh, that's that game? the one. John Madden always talked about the, the Rob Lytle fumble. <laughs> the fumble. Another game, Arnie, Not where yours. something <laughs> happened that went against the Raiders. The Raiders. <laughs> and it was a blatant fumble. This was a – but the guy, the ball was out. wasn't even close. <laughs> and that happened – but that was in the second quarter, I believe. So there was more than enough time for the Raiders to, to to you know, to adjust to that. Well, they always say, hey, good teams will adjust and good teams will overcome these things. So there was enough time, but the Broncos at the time, there was another team that kind of came out of nowhere, right, Mark? That's right. That's right. I... They had a recycled Cowboy quarterback, Arnie, and Craig Morton, who I thought was not really that good with the Cowboys, but he was actually probably playing better at that point in his career when he was with the Broncos in 77, then he was playing with the Cowboys in the early 70s, and late 60s. I mean, he had a very good year. He had that an year, excellent Mark. year. And they had a very good defense. They called him the Orange Crush. They had a very good defense, Arnie, and they said that they noticed that Stabler favored his left side with everything. And so they went into that game take, saying they were going to take that away from the Raiders. They weren't going to try to stop Stabler from rolling out to his left or passing to his left. And the big thing about that game that nobody talks about is Fred Bolitnikoff, the great receiver that we were just talking about, who was also smoking <laughs> cigarettes, he got knocked out of the game, Mark. I forgot about oh, that. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that too. <clears throat> he got knocked out of the game in the second period. That was huge, absolutely huge because – you know, he was their he was their main guy. You know, I mean? he was like he was like Devontae Adams for the Packers today. You know, playing today, and they lost him in the second period, and uh, it was uh, the Raiders shot themselves in the foot, though, in that game, and more than you know what I mean, in in more than one way. What, don't you think, Mark? Or they had some turnovers. I remember. <clears throat> And the, the Broncos, I don't, I don't think they, you know, I think they underestimated the Broncos' defense. They had some great players, you know, Randy Gratishar they had. They had Tom Jackson at linebackers. They still had Alzado. Alzado was the defensive end. And I think maybe they underestimated yeah. the – that was – that was uh, the season after they won the Super Bowl, right? They had just beaten the Vikings 11 months earlier. Yeah. The Raiders were Super Bowl champs playing. They were expected to beat Denver. When when Rob Lytle fumbled the ball, Mark, was what was were the Raiders up by four or were the I mean was uh were does Denver up by four 
and then they wouldn't want to play. Denver was up, yeah. But even yeah, that would have extended the lead, I think, to eleven points. <laughs> and they said there was a fumble, Arnie, that the ball came out like the they whistled the play dead. Like it wasn't even involving a quarterback or anything. The ball came flying out. It wasn't even it didn't even make sense. And they 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 ended up getting that was kind of a tough break, but Carl Garrett, he was a running back for the Raiders. He ended up fumbling the ball later on and in uh they you know, Morton threw a couple of picks that game for the both teams played kind of lousy, but it was a great game because it was close up until the end, kind of and then I think uh, did Dave Casper catch catch a late touchdown there? I believe so. Yeah, I don't remember. The, yeah, for some reason I don't remember that game as vividly as some of the others. I remember Haven Moses having he had like five catches for like 170 yards, close to that. wasn't exact, but give or take a few yards in two touchdowns. He was a receiver for right. the Broncos. It was the first time I, I ever – because I remember his name, Haven Moses, was kind of a different name. As a kid, it kind of sticks out. But that was – that was that game stuck out in my mind for some reason. And that was the game you would think – there it was. If the Raiders won that game, that was the late game. The Raiders would have played the Cowboys yeah, in the Super Bowl. like you said. Instead, it was the Cowboys and right. the Broncos. And I think the Raiders would have gave the Cowboys a much better game. Yeah, well, like you said, it's amazing. You look back at both of these teams were in the playoffs year after year after year. And it seems impossible that they never played each other in the Super Bowl. And that would have, that would have been the year. Yeah, that would have been it. That would have been, like you say, I think it would have been a great game. But it didn't happen. Those were some of the some of some of the great games I remember. I just it was great to come on and t- talk about those games. I'll tell you that. It's, you know, and people say, "Oh, you can't keep you're living in the past," but it's not living in the past. It's just you know those games will stand out. With that's that's what it, that's what creates your your uh, interest in football. That's what creates your love for the game. You know, and even though it's not the same for me today, I mean, I watch still watch football, but having all those things and uh, all those memories. That's what kind of carries you over. It's hard to people go. What do you still watch for today? It's not the same. But you know what? I still I still watch. But those games will never leave you. These games that we talked about today, those those will always be in your memory forever. That's what it's all about: the memory, the the fond memories. And I I don't know why I don't great. know why people say that's living in the past. I'm just I'm just having fond <laughs> memories. You get people to talk about that, Mark. I even hear people today. They go, "Oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be, but you know, like in other words, only if you talk about something that's going on today is yeah. relevant. It doesn't yeah. make sense, really. But you know, it, I hear that a lot from people. But you know, these were these were these were great games and great players. There were tremendous players playing in those games, like like Bolitnikov and. You know, uh, you know, even even Stabler. There was another guy that should have gotten the Hall of Fame years. That guy was deceased by the yeah. time he got in. You know, but he was a tremendous, tremendous player, Ken Stabler. He really was. Well, we have we have one young guy that appreciates history. That's Arnie. Arnie appreciates the history. That's right. <laughs> He's one of the few young ones. Well, it's great. It's great that you started it, Arnie, because you can get guys. Yeah, they do want to talk about old time stuff coming on, and you know, I guess 
it's a great outlet to have, I think, you know. You know, I, I told Mark we could talk about all kinds of different things. We could do a draft show and a, you know, and a Hall of Fame show in August when they have that. But there's all kinds of stuff you can always talk about, you know. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.